As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30, the 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pegnata, with you guys as always. Today, Josh Marlowe alongside of me as we break down the Tar Heels' sixth win out of seven to start the season as they get ready to head into their second bye week of the year. This one coming against the Duke Blue Devils, their fourth straight win over Duke, Mac Brown's 12th consecutive win, and the victory bell stays in Chapel Hill. We got a ton of stuff to talk about here today. Of course, we got to talk about Drake May and a tremendous performance all around, but especially that final drive of the game, uh, as well as his veteran receiver stepping up and performing well. But we also have to talk about that defensive side of the football and what the heck happened. They came back to earth and actually kind of went straight through the earth in this one. They got pounded into the earth uh, by this Duke offense. We have to talk about that. And we have a couple of closing notes, a few more uh, than you would probably realize on the way out, including the Tar Heels adding their 20th commitment in the 2023 class, a time for the game against Pittsburgh being set, and a quarterback getting an opportunity, a former Tar Heel quarterback getting an opportunity potentially to start moving forward. We'll tell you all about that here on this edition of the podcast, but let's circle back around to the game against Duke. Let's go inside the box score presented by DraftKings. Make sure you head over to DraftKings.com and use the promo code TPPN. Right now, when you head over there, we'll tell you more about that coming up later on in our commercial break. But for the Tar Heels, 536 yards of total offense, 380 yards through the air, 156 yards on the ground, 
eight penalties for the Tar Heels for 61 yards. Carolina, eight of 13 on third down, one of one on fourth down. Again, continuing to thrive on those important downs. Carolina, 7.2 yards per play, uh, and they finished the game. Did turn it over twice. Uh, They did take uh, three sacks and allowed four tackles for loss in this one. Meanwhile, Duke, 542 yards of total offense, 245 yards passing, 297 yards rushing, eight penalties for 85 yards, three of those very key towards the end of the game that helped Carolina. Uh, Duke, four of nine on third down. 0 of 2 on fourth down. So Carolina again on fourth down, standing strong in this game. But Duke did average 7.4 yards per carry, uh, and they did turn the ball over just one time. They once again improve on what is a tremendous uh, turnover margin for them. Now plus 8 on the season for the Blue Devils. Uh, but uh, they Carolina does get to them one time. Three tackles for loss as well in this game. In terms of the uh, the player stats, Drake May, sensational in this game. As we mentioned, 28 of 38, 380 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. On the ground, 18 carries, 70 yards, led the team once again. Caleb Hood, 10 carries, 48 yards in this one. Elijah Green, three carries, 24 yards. Two of those carries did find the end zone for touchdowns as he reemerged uh, into a role in this Tar Heel backfield. And Amarian Hampton, three carries, 16 yards. Uh, Receiving-wise, Josh Downs leads the Tar Heels, nine catches, 126 yards and uh, on 11 targets. Caleb Hood, five catches, 32 yards, and a touchdown. His first career touchdown, actually, with that touchdown grab. Antoine Green, four catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. Bryson Nesbitt, three catches, 20 yards. J.J. Jones, two catches for 49 yards. On the defensive side for Carolina, Power Eccles and Giovanni Biggers tie for the team lead in total tackles with eight. Carolina does get the interception from Will Hardy at the end of the game to seal it. That was the only turnover that they did create on the night. DeAndre Boykins, uh, seven total tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, and a sack. Also had a quarterback hit. He played pretty well for the Tar Heels. Uh, But other than that, a pretty rough night overall for this Tar Heel defense. On the other side, Riley Leonard, 20 of 31, 245 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He did run for 130 yards to lead the Blue Devils on 14 carries. Did find the end zone once on that long touchdown run. Jordan Waters, 15 carries, 91 yards and two touchdowns. Trey Moore, five carries for 42 yards. And Jacquez Moore, seven carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Calhoun, Led Duke in receiving six catches for 55 yards on 11 targets. Eli Pinocchio, three catches, 51 yards on four targets. Nikki Damelin, the tight end, three catches for 37 yards on five catches. And Jordan Moore, two catches for 43 yards on four targets. Uh, you look at in the defensive side for Duke, 13 total tackles in the game for Shaka Hayward. Uh, the other guy in double digits for them was Darius Joyner. Uh, Carolina uh, did uh, fumble the ball twice, two forced fumbles, one by R.J. Oban, the other one by Dwayne Carter, who had pretty good nights for themselves as well. As we mentioned, Duke, three uh, sacks. Those go to Oban. 
uh, Dwayne Carter as well as Brandon Johnson and Chandler Rivers combining on that. So let's take a look at the storylines from this game. And really, it, it starts with Drake May. I mean, there's no denying at this point. Uh, once again, faced with a game where he had to be great or else Carolina was not going to have a chance in this game. And he was exactly that. He did have two turnovers. Um, both of them, you know, the the uh, the first one knocked out of his hand by his own running back, who I, I, I don't really understand what Caleb Hood was doing, just to put his arm up as if he was attempting to take a handoff um, when – Drake was pretty much dropping back to throw, was already going into the arm motion. So not sure what really happened with that, but he gets the ball knocked out. And the second time, questionable call. There are a lot of people, I think, that are still trying to argue whether or not his arm was going forward uh, or back, but uh, does fumble that one as well. But when it mattered the most... He stepped up, made the plays that he had to, uh, and puts up another career performance on the way to Carolina uh, pulling out the victory. Yeah, no, another fantastic performance from Drake, totaling for over 400, or exactly 450 yards of total offense, three touchdowns, and, you know, it's kind of crazy to say this is becoming the norm, but this is becoming the norm for him. Um, I, I think he knows going in most most days if he doesn't play out of this world, his team doesn't have a chance to win um, because the defense, as much as we thought they had taken steps the last two weeks, we saw what this defense is on full force again on Saturday. And and, and so he, he knows. Um, but I, I think it really just comes back to, to him being put in the best position to execute and Phil Longo's game planning and his play calling – has been the best it's been since he's gotten here. You know, a lot of the last three years when Sam was doing crazy things, like some of it was play calling and some of it was stuff, but a lot of it was Sam doing some crazy things. And, like, don't get – there's like Drake's doing some special stuff. But I think it's just the the play calling is putting him in situations where he's comfortable. They're, they're using the his strengths, and he's making play after play after play. And, and it's, 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 it's a lot of fun to watch. And – you know, in a in a normal year, he would definitely be be right there as the as the Heisman front runner and in the Heisman conversation. But when you've got guys like Hinton Hooker doing what he's doing at Tennessee, even what Bryce Young is doing in Alabama despite a one loss team, and you got Blake Corm at Michigan and all these other guys doing great things, he's kind of being forgotten about. But no matter what, he's on pace to shatter every record that Sam Howell set as a freshman quarterback at Carolina. And I think that's something that we we thought was maybe possible, but I don't think we expected. And right now he's well on his way to having the best regular season a quarterback in Toriel football history has ever had. Well, in terms of him with Phil Longo, I think what it is is that he's really just that much – he's a better quarterback. He's a more talented quarterback. And it's making Phil Longo's job easier. Um, Phil Longo is able to open his playbook up, I think, a little bit more. Um, and, you know, it's uh, – I think you're just seeing the connection between these two guys. Um, and I'm not saying that it wasn't there with Sam. I think Sam was a dude that, I mean, we we heard that Sam was you know just as competitive as Drake, was a guy that was in the film room all the time. But this dude's tools, as we've talked about multiple times so far this year, it doesn't really get much better than what he's shown us. I mean, he is really that good. So I think... 
You're just seeing everything come together. You're seeing how special of a coordinator Phil Longo really is. And I think, again, Phil Longo, we said this so many times last year and even in the years prior, Phil Longo got a lot of hell from this fan base for no reason because there are a lot of games that Carolina would not have been in if it was not for Phil Longo and what his offense was doing. But this year, I mean, things have definitely gone to the next level, and I I think you're seeing that you've just got a guy that is unbelievably special. I mean, the fact that I think it's now five straight games that he has had 300 or more passing yards and or 300 or more total yards, I believe is the stat, uh, and five total touchdowns. I mean, this is just this is unbelievable how special of a season this dude is having. It, it is right there with Lamar Jackson. Like, you are talking about dudes that are just tearing it up, and that's the recipe that he's going to need if he's going to be in that Heisman conversation. As we've talked about it, what did Lamar Jackson do? What did RG3 do? Those are the guys that you have to compare him to because this team probably isn't going to be in the college football playoff hunt. And even if they are, it's going to be like 2015 again, where they are there because their record is good, but you don't really feel like there's an actual chance that they are there. Now, who knows? This is a guy that, look, more more than even Sam Howell or, or even Marquise Williams back in 2015, I mean, if he gets to the ACC championship game, if there's a guy that could step his game up and put on just an unreal performance there, it would be this guy because he really is next level. But I, I think you're just – you are seeing such a special dude – um, and I mean, look, ju- just go back, go to that game-winning drive. And we saw other quarterbacks that did this. But I mean, it, it, under pressure multiple times on that final drive, both of his biggest throws pressured. Um, you had the fourth and five, he had to roll out to his left to create more time, allows Josh Downs to free himself up with one of the best routes I think I've ever seen from a wide receiver to free himself up. Um, and, and just a tremendous job there. And then on third on, on third down on the throw to Antoine Green to win the game, had to roll out to his right and extend the play, and eventually comes back and finds him there. I thought, what, what a tremendous overall effort from him. And again, we've seen really one game from him where he had moments where he looked like a freshman. Even the other night, under a lot of pressure, the most pressure that he's been under this season, um, I, I thought... He, he did everything that he needed to do. He looked under control. He still went through his progressions, and he only really tucked and ran when he had to. And uh, it is making a huge difference for this Tar Heel offense right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no doubt. As you decided to quit talking while I was mid-yawning. What else is new on this podcast? Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, he, he's, he's, doing, he's doing special things, and, and uh, I, you know, I, it was something that I was very quietly confident in and thinking over the summer that, hey, he could really put this thing together and have some big-time stuff, but didn't get named you know, the starter officially the week of the Florida A&M game. And then, like, you know, what he did in the, in the week one, you had to take it at face value because you played an FCS opponent that he, he should look good against. But then it's every week, every time he's been faced with a new challenge, he's answered the call outside Notre Dame. And that's saying a lot because every week his defense is putting him in a position outside of outside of Virginia Tech where he's he's having to do something you're asking a lot of out of a 19 year old kid. So he's he he's been special. I think the thing you're noticing with him 
and this is what separates the good players from the great players, is the greats elevate those guys around them. And that's something that he's doing. Where this was something where, where Sam really struggled last year to elevate the talent around him and get the most out of him. Drake's not strong because he hasn't had a choice because you've had guys, you've had you had injuries at the wide receiver position. You had injuries at the running back position. So he's had different guys in the lineup that he's had to put in position to, to be the best version of themselves. And that's happened. And that's how you know you've got you've got something different. And he's a big reason why, or he he's primarily the reason why this team is six and one. They are they are ranked inside the top twenty five and they right now have the inside track to the ACC title game. Well, he definitely got some help from his veteran wide receivers the other night. Josh Downs, as I mentioned, uh, tremendous, led the team in receiving nine catches, 126 yards on 11 targets. Um, just, I mean, just another night for him. This has become routine for him really since last year. But again, he's back in that groove, and he has been phenomenal here over these last couple of games. Has that huge fourth and five reception that I was talking about. And then Antoine Green, four catches, 112 yards, has the big play to begin the game, and then somehow is able to keep himself in bounds and is able to make the touchdown grab late in the game. So, Look, Carolina has seen some other guys that have stepped up. We've talked so much about the tight ends. We saw the stretch from Kobe Pesor, who came back the other night and had two nice catches to help him out as well, as well as guys like Gavin Blackwell, J.J. Jones. But when it at the end of the day, this is why we needed to have these guys back at some point for uh-huh. Carolina to ultimately reach the pinnacle of what they could be offensively. Because you were going to get into these conference games where you needed your veteran wide receivers, the guys that you could count on in these types of moments. And you saw it on Saturday. They came up huge for Carolina, and it's the reason that we're sitting here talking about a win instead of a loss. Yeah, I mean, Josh Downs uh, put on a show, and Antoine Green made some big-time plays after after he left plays on the field. That's who he is. Um, we've seen it every week where he'll make a big play after he makes a dumb play or he has a mistake. But that's the type of mental toughness this team has lacked the last couple of years. Um, and so it's nice to see that happening. Kamari Morales, got a, he, he scored a touchdown again on Saturday. That gives him 10 in his career. You know that's the most by a tight end in Tar Heel football history? Holy man. I mean, look. What one one of our guys got injured a lot in his career. We love Zach Pianalto. We thought that Ebron would probably be ahead of that if he had stayed longer. But yeah, that's I mean that's amazing. And and again, you're you're seeing. I mean, even that play. Like you look at just a great job done by Drake May to buy time and eventually find him. But a great job by Kamari Morales. Like these are guys that. We heard, what did Phil Longo tell us when he was hired here and we heard him talk back in 2019 that he wanted from his receivers, really pass catchers. Fine Fine grass. Fine grass. They're doing it this year. I mean, these guys are literally just getting open. It is backyard football because you've got a guy that can extend plays and and, and make them down the field. I, I thought, again, there were so many guys that were tremendous. I mean, Caleb Hood. Second straight game where he has been one of the leading receivers in terms of catches out of the backfield. Five catches, 32 yards, scores the touchdown. 
He had a huge catch early in the game to to give Carolina the 10-7 lead. His ability to stay in bounds actually got both feet down to catch that ball. So you're seeing so many guys contribute. But again, when it came back to those late plays, even before that, Josh Downs had those two play those two throws down the field on jump balls that he goes up and gets. Like you're you're throwing the ball down the field to a slot receiver that is that is 5'11. And just telling him, hey, go up and make a play. And the dude is doing it. Like, you talk about a dude that's helping his draft stock immensely. Josh Downs, I don't see any way possible this dude's coming back next year. Not with the way he's playing right now. And with Antoine Green, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't remember a moment the other night where he had an issue. That that play where it was down the field, that was an underthrow by, by Drake. Should have been pass interference. They didn't call it. Um, I thought he was phenomenal the other night. Like, that's... But and that's that's who he is, man. He's the guy that's going to take the top off this defense. We saw JJ Jones do it earlier in the game too. It looks like he's going to be the guy that's going to follow in his footsteps. But those late drive for those guys to step up the way that they did was what Carolina needed, and, and it's why early in the year when we were saying, man, all these other guys are playing so well, and who knows what it would have been like if they would have had to keep playing moving forward. But you needed these guys to come back and to be able to make these types of impacts. And you saw why it was so important here against the Blue Devils in this one. Another group that I thought played really well the other night, and I know the statistics may not really be there to tell you that, but I thought the running back group was pretty solid. I mean, look, first of all, they only ran the ball 16 times with running backs in this game. Uh, 10 carries for Caleb Hood for 48 yards. Not great, but not terrible. Um, you had Elijah Green, who I thought was tremendous. I mean, they put him back in there. He scores two touchdowns, including the one where he runs through multiple Duke defenders. Uh, Carolina put up the video kind of comparing his run to the one that we saw uh, two years ago back in 2020 from Javante Williams. I don't know if it was quite that explosive. I will never forget Javante Williams absolutely blasting Tony Davis, who was a guy that Carolina recruited, um, and he chose to go to Duke. I will never forget him blasting that dude about five yards straight back into the end zone. That's one of my favorite runs ever from Javante. But you saw, once again, some signs from this group that th- there is there is a lot of potential here. And I got to tell you, I think you have – it's going to be hard to take Elijah Green out of this offense after what he did the other night. I think there is a conversation to be had about – how you divvy up those reps once again. And it seems like we're doing this every week. Caleb Hood seems like he's your number one guy. But I think now Elijah Green could be in that conversation with Amari and Hampton, something that I thought we could see earlier in the year because of his speed. Yeah, no, they they definitely they definitely made they made winning plays when they were on the field, which is what you kind of need them to do when you're not you're not running the ball with them a, a ton. And look, I know a lot of these runs the, the, or that go down as runs for Drake May, they're not they're not designed. It's it's him taking off and, and making something out of nothing. But those are still designed pass plays, and and so if if you're going to pass the ball as frequently as Carolina is going to, and I, as much as I know Mac Brown wants to run the ball, this they they need to throw the ball because it's it's they're too dynamic in the passing game. But uh, well, you, they've also played some horrendous secondaries. We saw it again the other night, man. You gotta if it's there, take advantage of it. Yeah, man. Um, so if it's all about when you run the ball, make sure that you're 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 getting something out of out of them. And so you had Caleb put ten carries, forty eight yards, 
4.8 yards per carry. Elijah Green, 3 for 28, that's 8 yards a carry. And then Amari and Hampton, 3 for 16, that's 5.3 yards a carry. That's running, that's that's running with a purpose, that's making an impact in the running game. And so it, it really all does formulate for an offense that ran for 156 yards and 4.5 yards per carry. Well, the other, good thing, numbers. the other thing with Hood is you're getting the receiving too. I mean, he had 80 total yards of offense in this game, 124 against Miami. So, what? and what was one of the best things that we saw from that backfield back in 2020? Both Javante and Michael Carter could affect the game as receivers out of the backfield. Carolina hasn't really had that this year. They they never really had that with Amari and Hampton. He's had a couple of moments, but it's been like one, two receptions a game. Man, Caleb Hood is making plays out of the backfield, and that's what Carolina needs, so... I think you you are this offense just continues to grow, and every year we kind of ask ourselves this. You know, there's a game early in the year where we say, "Man, how could the offense really get that much better?" Like we saw the game against App State, and you're saying, "How could the offense really be better than that?" Well, you're seeing it. You're seeing all different guys getting involved. You're seeing <laughs> your veteran guys continue to step up in even bigger ways. So, I mean, this offense right now is feeling it. Now, the one area of weakness is in the trenches. And again, this is both sides of the ball here. Um, your trench report this week after last week's positive one, not going to be as positive. Duke registered 25 quarterback pressures in this game, including three sacks. Mm. It, it really doesn't get much worse than that. Now, I, I a lot of that was scheme. They had a lot of guys that came in unblocked. Um, it did good job of them to crank up the pressure, but this Carolina offensive line did not look great the other night. And, and, and according to pro football focus, the, the most allowed by a single guy was three. That was Corey Gaynor. I got to tell you, I think it may have been a lot worse than that. And they are not crediting some other guys with that. They struggled the other night. Uh, and that that's the one area that's starting to concern me a, a, a little bit. Well, I think the thing that's the most frustrating is, you know, you didn't have William Barnes the other night. Yep. And your offensive line looks a shell of itself. The issues the last and couple— And, dude, it wasn't really Adorno. He wasn't really terrible. The, the, the issues the last couple of years is that it, it appears that whenever they have an injury, for some reason the line becomes lesser than what it is. And that shouldn't be happening in year four. Like now, with the way you've recruited that position, whether it's you know with you know literal recruiting or via the portal, um, you, you've upgraded your offensive line coach. You know, in theory, from what you had to what you got right now. Oh, it's not in theory. That's the facts are there. They've they've done that so far. So I I, I think that's the most frustrating thing is that because injuries are just an excuse. Injuries are going to happen. And when it's when it's your first year and you inherited a team that you inherited, it made a lot of sense. But it's year four, and you should have built enough depth to where you can sustain an injury or two. And there's still going to be a dip in play, but not a night and difference in day in terms of how your offensive line looks as a collective unit. Well, I got to tell you, it really wasn't night and day difference from the previous week. They did allow five sacks against Miami. But a so lot of, but I mean, like it's, a lot it's been of those, two weeks in a row. You man. would probably attest those to Drake just holding on to the ball 
And I mean, sometimes. I mean, I guess I don't know, man. There, there's a lot of pressure immediately in his face. I mean, I don't. Maybe they're rolling him out too much. Maybe, maybe they are because when you roll guys out, look. Unless your guys are going to hold, it's you, your guys usually are not able to keep their blocks. It's impossible when you're roll. If you're rolling to the right, your right tackle cannot hold on to that block. It's just it's not going to happen. It's going to be a hold. So maybe there is an element of that, and maybe they have to stop doing that, but. I mean, look, Ed Montalus didn't play that bad in this game. My thing is, is the consistency is not there. Uh, you know, this two weeks in a row now, Corey Gaynor, a guy that you thought was going to be the leader of the group, I'm not saying he's played bad, but he hasn't been great in pass protection. He's let up the most pressures each of the last two weeks. So, I mean, that's an area you've you've got. You, it looked like things were heading in the right direction. And look, I'm not saying that this unit is as bad as last year's. Nowhere even close. Because if this was last year's unit, it probably would have been about seven or eight sacks the other night. But it's it's a group that, and I don't think it's a depth issue. Because like I said, I don't think Adorno was that bad. I mean, he took one penalty the other night. Um, I think, who, who was the other one that took a penalty? Gaynor, Gaynor had one as well. For the most part, that unit wasn't, that wasn't the issue for that unit. It was just, they could not stay in front of guys. Um, I thought they run blocked pretty solid, but it, it's. I'm just. I am afraid of getting back to where we were last year with the pass protection. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. I maybe it's not getting anywhere near that bad, but that's that's the one thing that kind of scares me about the offensive line unit. And when you go over to the defensive side, I mean, I, I just there's not really much to say at this point. This is good. You you talk about a unit that's just as inconsistent as it gets. I mean, last week, you looked like a competent unit against one of the better running games in the ACC. You turn around a week later. Now, granted, this running game came in averaging 20 more yards per game, but I mean, it was still a team that was outside of the top 30 in rushing offense. So we're not talking about a team that was just world beaters, we're not talking about Army. And they let up 297 yards on the ground. And look, I get it. Look, Riley Leonard ripping off that big run definitely hurt. But, I mean, look, 74 of his yards came on that one play. You were worn down by Jordan Waters, Terry Moore, Jacquez Moore. Like, there was no chance for that. And, by the way, we had complimented them on how well they did taking away the edge the last couple of weeks. Oh my God, that was not even remotely there the other night. That was, I mean, look, that may have been worse than than Notre Dame in terms of how they performed up front in the run game. That was brutal. It was definitely uh, a frustrating night defensively, but it's who they are. There's there's no reason to go into a game expecting this defense to play well. There's none. Um, I don't. I don't care if they play a bad offense. As long as it's not raining, I'm still going to expect them to give up points and give up yards because that's what they do. And it's frustrating because I think we all bought into Gene Chizik being able to get the most out of this out of this group. And I I don't know. I mean, a lot of it the other night was they missed 17 tackles. So again, they he's putting them in position to make plays. Yep. but they're not making them. Something tells me they're not tackling enough in practice, not hitting enough in practice. 
And, and so, to some degree, it, it does come back to coaching, and it's... Oh, no, 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 no. This is almost 100% on coaching. It, it is. It's it, just frustrating. I told you the other night, man. I, I think we're looking at a scenario. This team, let's say this team runs the table somehow. They could, I, I could still see them firing their defensive line coach and their defensive backs coach. Easy. And rightfully so. I, I, oh, I think it's, I think it's more than deserved. I think at this point, you could make a case to fire those guys midseason. Because right now, dude, it is just, it is, they, they are not getting it done. Like, it is so clear that it is coaching because how in the the angles that these dudes take to the football is just, I mean, it just blows my mind. And look, if it is the players, then it's still on coaching because how are you not rotating other dudes in? And I thought that was one of the things the other night. Man, we've been rotating so much up front. We, we had done so much rotation up there. The defensive back, but we haven't. I don't know why the hell we haven't. I'm still waiting for that answer, but apparently we, we're not allowed to do that. Well, the rotation completely disappeared up front the other night mm. against a team that wanted to run more against you. Wouldn't you want to rotate in more against a team that wants to run against you, that wants to wear you down? Against an offensive line that had graded out as one of the best in the ACC? Like, I just, it does not make any sense to me why there is not more rotation. And that goes back to the position coaches. Guys, Mac Brown is not the dude pointing on the sideline and telling so-and-so to go in for a snap at linebacker or at defensive end. Like, it doesn't happen like that. It's up to your position coaches. It's just... And the thing that's frustrating is, look, man, they won the game the other night. This defense showed last week at Miami that even though they can allow yards through the air, I think we'd all live with that if it results in what we saw in the game, you know, again, at the end of the day against Miami. Yeah. That was exactly the recipe. And look, I told you that was going to be hard to replicate over and over again. But to be just destroyed on the ground is just mind-blowing to me because you 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 clearly did something right against both Virginia Tech and Miami, the latter of which had a really good run game, and that just disappears? Like, how is that possible? And you brought it up. 17 missed tackles. I went back and looked. 17 according to Pro Football Focus. There, there is a chance they missed more than that, and there are chances that along the way in some of these games, since the, between this game and the one I'm about to bring up, they may have missed more tackles than that. Pro Football Focus just didn't get it. But that's what Pro Football Focus had. That is the most since week six of 2020 against Virginia Tech. Now, oddly enough, what happened in that game against Virginia Tech? They also won that game. They they missed 20 tackles, and they won that game 56-45. to 45. Mm-hmm. I, So I, I don't I don't understand. It's the same thing over and over again. But again, to me, it, it just it goes back to the fact that you you could not, if you were going to bring in Gene Chizik, you should have let Gene Chizik bring in his types of position coaches. I get it, man. Dre Bly has done some great things recruiting-wise. Tim Cross has done some great things recruiting-wise. If they want to remain on the staff as recruiting analysts, feel free. You guys right now are not getting the job done coaching your units. 
And it's just, it's, they got to clean it up. Because, my God, man, 17 missed tackles. I, I mean, it's just, and it's the same dudes too, man. Like Cameron Kelly, come on, man. Four missed tackles again? Yeah, man. Like what? What are we? How do we not realize that? Hey, maybe we should take this dude off the field and see if Dontavius Nash. I mean, is there anybody else? Like Jaquarius Conley dressed the other night, but I don't know when he's coming back to the to the line. Is there anybody else that we can try to throw out there? Because at this point, it's just it's the same. It's the same recipe every week. I'm I'm with you at this point. Like, why should you go into the game expecting them to play great defense? If they do, surprise, great. But other than that, like, I don't. There, there's no reason to be confident in this group. Nope. And I, I ju- it's just. But at the, I mean, how the thing is also. I mean, it's still working. Like you're playing some teams in the ACC Coastal that have pathetic defenses, that are just as bad, if not worse, than yours. So it's 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 all over the place right now and they've they've got to find more solution. I want to see that that rotation return this week or two weeks against Pittsburgh because look, if you got the same recipe against them, I mean, that team, that team routinely 500 yards of total offense against this defense who I don't even want to know what that's going to look like. But here's the thing, we said all that Carolina is still 3-0 in the Coastal. They're now one game ahead of Georgia Tech in the conference standings. They're now a game and a half ahead of Pittsburgh in the Coastal standings. Now, of course, Carolina will, uh, with with the week off, some of these teams will sort of come back to Carolina and close back in on them. But Carolina, all three of those wins have come in the Coastal. So they're halfway through their Coastal schedule. The first game that they have out of the bye is Pittsburgh. And if they get that one, you got to be feeling pretty good about where Carolina is at in the ACC Coastal because at that point, it would be Virginia. And then look, if somehow Georgia Tech is still hanging around, you have them second to last week of the year. So, I don't know. I This is, I got to tell you, we have been in some really weird spots with Tar Heel football before. I think this is probably the most conflicting spot that you can be as a Tar Heel football fan because the team is 6-1. and one. The team is leading the ACC Coastal. And if you told anybody that in the preseason, they would say, oh, hell yeah, I'll take that. But at the same time, this is a team that clearly has a lot of flaws. And I think there, there, are, there are still some people that are concerned about what exactly this season ends up looking like. You can have a six and one record and be a average football team. That's what they are. That's what most teams in the country that are six and one are. So that's I, you know I I saw um, a guy put out this tweet the other night. It was John. I think he pronounced his name Ballman Bowman, and that was effectively what he said from inside. No, he basically said that the team's terrible. Um, that they haven't won. They haven't won anything, and that they, they, pretty much what it goes back to is is that he predicted them to be three and four at this point, and he says that he they should be three and four with the way that they've played. I mean, not 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 wrong in a lot of those assessments, but what he basically said was, "You've got a good record. It doesn't mean 
you're they're not they're not a great team. Who's saying they're a great team? They're not a good team. They're an average at best football team that has played a bunch of bad football teams and they've beaten them. And I think where I get the most frustrated, and if you Tar Heel fans, this is where you should be frustrated, is that the product on the field should look better. It should look more complete. When it's year four under Mac Brown and you've 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 put the investment into the program that you have, you've recruited the way that you have, and it's just it's just not. And it's like I said last week, this team could go on and win nine or ten games, and in the grand scheme of things, like on paper it's a it's a good season, but it's 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 kinda like a you know, it's just gonna be an inflated record unless they run the table. And well, even then, they still wouldn't have a good win at that point. Because what is are, are we sure Wake Forest is going to be that good of a team? You know, if, if if they run the table and they compete in the ACC title game, like the 15 team did, then yeah, you would probably validate what you've done in the regular season. If would you? Would you? If, I don't think you would, and I don't think a lot of Toriel fans would. I think there are a lot of people that would still say this is not that good of a football team. If you go with you, eleven and one record, if you go and compete, it, it it'd be really hard to say, yeah, we you know we're we're not a good team. You go into Charlotte, and we're let's just you know for argument's sake, let's just presume it's Clemson because they've got the inside track to get back to the AC title game, and they beat you by three scores or more, then it probably validates that you. You won a lot of games. They'll beat a lot of people. The ACC Coastal feels like what the Pac-12 has felt like as an entire conference really since Oregon made the title game the first year of the playoff. And yet they're seen as a great program. So it's 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 just it's it's just frustrating because you you're you're six and one with a two point win at App State. Not a good football team. A seven-point win at Georgia State, an even worse football team. You got trounced at home by a Notre Dame team that has lost at home to Marshall and to Stanford. Um, and then you've you, your I mean, your two best wins are at four and three Miami and four and three Duke, and they were one possession wins. So they they lack the ability to put away bad football teams, which is a sign that they're not a good football team. And that's that's what's frustrating because they they don't have a they don't have a, a a gear to be dominant and and to over overpower an opponent and I think by year four when you've done the things that they've done you sh- that that should be in the cards for you and it doesn't <laughs> appear that, that I don't it, think so and I don't think that it I don't think that it's it's in the cards for them. It's never going to be in the cards for them. This is, I mean, let's be honest. This is what this program has always been. Like, are we are we fooling ourselves? Like, are we trying to act like this is a different program? It should be under Mac Brown, and that's the problem. It's not based on what, based on crappy coaching hires. Like, let's be honest. Let's let's call what what these guys are right now on the defensive side of the football. These guys are not good coaches, and he should have let these guys go in the off season. I'm not disagreeing with that. Um, but I, I mean, I just there. If you're con- after what you saw last year, 
I don't see how you could think that this team was going to come out and be world beaters. Like, that's just, that was not going to happen. This was not a good foot. That last year, that was the most disappointing season. I mean, it's got to be, I would say, at least top five most disappointing seasons in Toriel football history. And it's not even close because the amount of hype that you had around that team, you had a guy that came in as a preseason favorite for the Heisman, one of them. And you win six games the entire season? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really know how you can validate that. So for me, I don't really care how they've gotten to 6-1. and one. Look, man, that loss to Notre Dame, not a good loss. But look, that's kind of riddled Carolina's records every year under Mac Brown. There are always horrendous losses on Mac Brown's resumes. It's always happened. Even when they went 11-1, and one, they had bad losses. They, they had a bad loss. Because they got pounded into the ground by teams. Like, that's the difference. Now, they were getting beat by good teams, but they didn't look competitive in those games. So, I think it's just part of it. If you are a Toriel football fan, you should be enjoying this. And if you're not, then I don't really know what to tell you. You should probably invest in a different program. Because it really is not going to get a whole lot better. Especially once Mac Brown leaves campus. Unless they just hit on a gem. I- I'm not... I'm not seeing how it's going to be that much better. Like, yeah, there are things about this this football program that we wish could be better. There's no doubt about that. We've been begging for this defense to look even remotely competent since Butch Davis has left. And at this point, I think it's it, you kind of have to just admit, until it actually happens, I shouldn't think it because there's no point. I'm wasting my time thinking that this defense is going to be good until they prove it to me. But you should be enjoying what Drake May's doing. You should be enjoying what this offense is doing. And more importantly, you should be enjoying the fact that this team is somehow 6-1 and one and could end up in Charlotte. And it doesn't really matter what they look like to me when they get to Charlotte. If they, if they get blown out in that game by Clemson, it, to me that doesn't really matter, especially if Clemson keeps playing the way that they've been playing. I mean, I get it. The other night they let Florida State get back into that game against them, but that offense right now for Clemson is unreal. They're putting up numbers that are better than most of their title teams. So I think they're, you know, look, that that's a team that if that's who you meet there, then great. If it's Wake Forest, I mean, we've seen that defense. That's one where you probably feel like, okay, Carolina should still have a pretty good showing there. And I feel pretty confident that if they were to get there, like I said earlier, I think you got the quarterback that can that can get the job done in terms of at least keeping you competitive. That dude is not scared by any stage. Now, granted, he hasn't been on a really big one yet, but again, it's the schedule that's in front of you, too. Like, you can't help the fact that the Coastal is just booty. Like, nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw Miami being 4-3 and three with a win against Virginia Tech that they probably shouldn't even won that game. Um, Pittsburgh, I I still don't really know what to make of them. That's the one other game that I think at the end of the year, if Carolina wins in a couple Saturdays, that could still end up being a pretty solid win at the end of the season, depending on what Pittsburgh does from there. But if you beat them, that's a three-loss football team. So you have to see what they do the rest of the way. Um, Duke... I think Duke's a heck of a lot better than a lot of people are going to give him credit for. 
Uh, that is, to me, that's a bowl team, and I think that's a team that could still win seven, probably eight games with some of the teams that they still have to play in the Coastal. Um, and then you got Wake Forest because NC State, I'm assuming we talked about that last week, potentially being a win that could be big. I'm assuming that is now officially off the table as a potential big win with Devin Leary now out. It depends on how they how they respond. Um, that offense did not look very good on Saturday. To be fair, their offense didn't look great with Leary either. So, so you know, it's just, I mean, like, it is what it is. Like, people, you know, you can believe that, you know, this is a good football team. I don't think they are. And we'll but the but the who is saying that this is a great that this is a, I didn't say a great. world beating football. Team. I said good. They're not good. So what's the def? What would define? Show me a good football team. Good football teams are complete. They have a pulse defensively. They don't. There, there. Who are these great? No, if you have a a pulse defensively in college football now, you are pretty much a great football team. You have Dude, the ability to overwhelm Tennessee, opponents. Tennessee does not have a, a a even remotely good defense, and they would beat us by three touchdowns. But it doesn't matter. You just said that's the qualification that you need. Have you seen this offense? Have you seen this quarterback? This might be the best quarterback in the damn country right now. Okay. The way he's playing. All right, now let's. Let's dude, look at his numbers compared to C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker. So, like, dude. So in a one-game playoff, you're taking Drake May over Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker. And on saying, certain rosters, probably so. Over Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, C.J. Stroud. You're taking Drake May over those guys. I would probably take him over Hendon Hooker. This guy, no dude, doubt in my that mind, that just stood in the pocket to beat Alabama. Uh, yes, he's a better quarterback than Hendon Hooker. All right, now you're talking out of your ass. Easily. I, 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 you put him on that Tennessee roster, that team would be ju- where they are now, probably a better offense. Um, that's the best offense probably in the country. No, that's still Ohio State's. Like, I wouldn't take him over C.J. Stroud. I wouldn't take him over Bryce Young. Outside of that, yeah, I'd probably take him over everybody else. I'd probably put him third in the country with the way he's playing right now. I mean, this dude is 500 yards ahead of the ne- the next closest guy in terms of passing yards. Like, this dude's lighting it the hell up. He, I, none of those guys are mobile quarterbacks in terms of the actual number of rushing yards that they have. He has over, he, he has 400. So, yeah, I, I think there is a legitimate argument. The fact that people are saying he shouldn't be in the Heisman race is probably the stupidest thing I've heard in a long, long time in college football. That dude deserves to be solidly in the Heisman race. Um, There are a lot of guys that deserve to be solidly in the Heisman race that are maybe not on the greatest football team. The fact that Chase Brown from Illinois is not in the Heisman race is insane. That dude's already run for over a thousand yards this year. Like, it, it, it should not matter that you are not on the greatest football team. And also, you're talking about teams that have one loss. So, I mean, look, I don't look. Do I think that Drake is the Heisman favorite? No, not even close at this point. But uh, if he goes out there, it, he would probably have to beat Clemson at the end of the year. But should he be in the conversation? Oh, there is no doubt about that. And if you don't think that, you probably haven't watched much college football. Or you have a very altered view of college football. And you should probably watch more games than just the SEC and the Big Ten. Because there are a lot of really good players outside of those two conferences. 
I mean, game day's going to a game in the Pac-12 this week that might be one of the best games the entire season and probably won't even be on TV. I believe that's actually a Pac-12 network game. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I just, to me, you've got the recipe to be considered a good team. It's just, I mean, look, so so I'm assuming 15, not a good team. No, they validated themselves because they competed in the ACC title game. But outside of that, nothing about that team showed you that they were a good football team. They're, if, like, if you didn't doubt that they were a good football team because they took advantage of a weak schedule and a bad conference. Then yeah, because here's the thing. You were saying that back in 2015, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I had doubts that they were. No, you didn't. That they you were never, the, you that never they were voiced the, that. That they were the eighth-ranked team in the country. Then they went and played Clemson in the AC title game, and they competed. They validated that they were they were a top, at the time, 10 football team in the country. This isn't the 22nd best team in college football. Oh, yeah, it is, because there are not that many good football teams in college football. There are, right now, this season, there are maybe, what, maybe 15 good teams in college football, if that? Like, there, I'm telling you, there are a lot of, of very average to mid to below average football teams right now. I mean, look at the the middle of the Big Ten is a disaster. The ACC, I mean, how many teams in the ACC Atlantic are really that good? Like, I know they've got a lot of teams that are ranked, but are there really that many good football teams in the Atlantic? I think there's probably two. It is Clemson and Wake Forest. Everybody else is suspect. Because, I mean, if you're making that argument, I'm assuming, I mean, Syracuse hasn't beaten anybody. So, undefeated, their fans shouldn't be excited. Am I wrong? You're, there's just, there's no point in having this conversation with you. That's because I, I'm right. No, because I can look at. I can look at it without Homer eyes and and tell you the truth. It's not Homer. It's realistic knowing that, hey, man, this is a football program that, frankly, is not that good all time. It's not even – it's one that is, in most people's eyes, has consistently failed to live up to expectations. And they are 6-1. and If they finish the season 11-1, and I don't care who they beat. I don't care if guys are out injured on other teams. If this team is 11 and 1, you should be excited about what this team is doing. You should be I'm not saying that you should be pounding your chest and telling other people, "Hey man, we're the best team in the country. We're better than Bama, we're better than Ohio State." But yeah, you should be excited by what this team does cuz if not, again, there are portions of the Tar Heel fan base. There are three separate portions of the Tar Heel fan base. There is one that is entirely too positive that believes that there is never anything wrong with Tar Heel football, that everybody is just trying to tear them down, and after certain losses, you should never criticize the team. Then there are the people that are always negative, that say, look, man, this team should be phenomenal, they should be world beaters, Um, this is a team that just never lives up to expectations, no matter what. And then there's the group that is sort of realistic in saying, hey, man, if this team wins... Nine, eight, eight or nine games, no matter what it looks like, you should probably accept that and be happy with that. And that's where I'm at because I, I'm not going to lie, really, since outside of 2020, since 
that 2016 season, it has been pretty rough to be a Tar Heel football fan, especially last year when this team was one that we really believed in. Most of us thought they're going to at least win the ACC Coastal. There were some people that had convinced themselves they could beat Clemson and win the ACC. And, I mean, who knows what could have happened if they actually lived up to the potential because Clemson wasn't even there. And they just fell short. So I, I'm I'm a guy that's I'm not going to be overly negative with this team because here's the thing. If you're believing what Mac Brown told you about, man, we're gonna get this team to a national championship level, man, that was never gonna happen. Mac Brown is always a guy. We know this. Mac Brown is a guy that talks more than he coaches. Now he's still a Hall of Fame coach, but I'm gonna tell you right now, if you just listen to Mac Brown and you listened to his press conferences, and you said to somebody, "How? what do you think this guy did in his career? They would tell you that guy won more. They would tell you he was probably on Nick Saban's level with how he talks. That's just how he is. And look, it works for recruiting. I'm going to tell you, I don't want him to change from that perspective because it brings the talent in. It's just you got to know that, hey, man, this is not a team that's going to make the college football playoff. And if they do, that's a miracle. Soak it up. So, I mean, that's where I'm at. But look, you're not alone. There are plenty of Toriel fans that are in the same boat as you. Um, There are plenty of Toriel fans that are hoping this team loses each week because they just, they want to be right. They don't want this team to be good because they believe that, hey, man, I said in the preseason they weren't good. Or this team doesn't deserve to win games because of their defense. Dude, if you watch the NFL, I- I'm a fan of a giant team that should be 1-5. and five. And they're 5-1. and one. Like, you think I care how they win games? Hell no, I don't care. And, I mean, look, I know college football is a little bit different because of the resume thing. But again, I am not trying to get this team into the playoff. They're not making the playoff. They lost to a Notre Dame team that might finish the season 6-6. Six and six. They're not going to the playoff. But if they can find their way somehow into a New Year's Six Bowl, which would still be a miracle, or even if they get to a high-end bowl game, I'm not going to be complaining about that. So, I don't know. I'm assuming nothing. There's there's no point in, in having the discussion. Like because uh, you're just you want to be miserable. I'm not miserable. I just I see I see what the team is for what it is. It's an average at best football team. That's what they are. And so people shouldn't be happy about this season at all. Didn't say they shouldn't be happy, but look at it for what it is. A six and one football team. That's that's the only way you can look at it. That's beaten App State, Georgia State. Their best wins are at, at a four and three Miami team and at four and three Duke. So what are they supposed to do about the fact that the teams on their schedule are what they are? I don't know. If good good football teams blow out bad football teams, this team doesn't do that. So, I, you, do you not remember that this was a team that didn't win a single road game last year? Like, did you expect them to blow teams out? They they should be blowing out Georgia State. Yeah. Like, if, if you're not expecting that, 
you're part of the problem when it's year four with a Hall of Fame head coach. So they so they should be blown. So where should they be right now in the top twenty five poll? They, they should shouldn't be top be, ten. They shouldn't be ranked. No, no. Not with the, what they've done now. I'm saying in your ideal situation about them actually playing up to the level that they should be playing. This should be what undefeated. They should probably be top eight, top top five, getting near that range, right? This is why there's no there's no point in having this conversation with you. Because you don't have any any argument. No, what? I have a plenty of argument that you then don't want to have. Put it on the table. What I, I, are they? I just fucking did. What are they supposed to be? They're supposed six and one football teams that are good beat teams into the ground. They don't do that. But even if they were six and one with a loss to Notre Dame, they're not a good team then. If they're so if, they if, they should be seven and zero. Oh, they, they should, should be, be top ten. Oh. No, but they. Then they, why? Then why not? They, they should lack, be, they'd be pounding teams into the ground. They and they're lack still the not ability to beat bad football teams in blowout fashion. Do, do, how many? How many? Do teams, I do? Do you think I don't know this? I've watched this team. So, and the fact that you're not bothered by that is a problem. I'm not saying I'm not bothered. Like clearly, I'm not thrilled. I'm again. I'm not saying that this is the greatest season in Toriel football history. I'm not saying that this is a team. Look, do I think this team is? Anywhere near the teams in the 90s or the 80s or the 40s or even, I mean, I don't even know how this team compares to 2015. That would be an unbelievably difficult breakdown that we may have to do at some point. But I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not going to be sorry for not being pissed that this team is not 7-0. and Like, there's nothing you can do about it. That's in the past at this point. And... I mean, look, we we already aired out our grievances with that game. There's uh, you you can't go back and win that football game. There's plenty of game. I mean, look back at 2015. Should we be unhappy with the loss to South Carolina? Hell no. But what did we? T- I mean, the only thing that came out of that was, hey, it turned the season around. I'm not saying that this has, but I don't really know. I'm not. I'm not at the point where I am going to be somebody that's going to sit here and basically say I'm not happy that we're winning games. I'm not I'm I'm disappointed that this team is is not killing it because I, at this point I don't know anybody that really should expect that with this program. No matter the talent that you bring in because they've done it before and they they've never done that. Like even with Butch Davis, the most games they won was 8. So I mean, I just I don't get it. I mean, at that point, if if that's if if you're where you're at, then Mac Brown is not the right guy to lead this program. There has to be somebody else that's better because they would get more out of the talent. Like that that would be the only solution. So, I don't know. I there's there's I, I don't know. I don't understand how we're at this point as a fan base as a 6 and 1 football team. That there are there there are people out there that are basically miserable to the point where they don't even really want to watch Toriel football because it's that frustrating. So I don't know. We'll take a break, uh, DraftKings, uh, and then when we come back, we'll tell you about the uh, Toriel commit from yesterday. They flipped the guy in the 2023 class for their 20th commitment. We'll tell you about the game time for the game against Pitt, and we'll tell you about a quarterback that may be getting an opportunity to take over as a starter 
in the NFL that used to be a Tar Heel. Stick around right here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high and the tension is higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks and you watch as the ball lands. Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you want to bet on one of your favorite Tario players. Maybe you like Michael Carter and his matchup for the Jets that week. Or maybe you want to bet on the total number of tackles that Cole Holcomb will have in a game. You can do all that on DraftKings Sportsbook. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubber two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. So again, as I mentioned there, as we were going to break, the Toriels did get their 20th commitment in the 2023 class. They do end up completing the flip of three-star safety Aiden Duncanson from East Carolina. This is the second straight flip in the class for the Toriels from the uh, ECU Pirates. And uh, another guy out of the state of Georgia, Carolina, really doing damage in the state of Georgia. Uh, Duncanson, the high school teammate of current Tar Heel commit, uh, three-star inside linebacker Caleb Lavalli in the class. Um, and Carolina really zoned in on him uh, back in early August. Uh, they gave out the offer just after he committed, actually 10 days after he committed to East Carolina. They were able to get him on campus for the game against Florida A&M. Uh, unfortunately, during that visit, his mother was not able to attend. So this is something that probably could have happened a little bit earlier than it actually did. They get the mother on campus here earlier this past week, Monday and Tuesday of this past week, and he goes ahead and pulls the trigger on his commitment on Sunday. So Carolina uh, now nearing probably a full class for them. They do have a couple of late offers that they have sprung on guys, a couple of athletes, uh, all three stars as of right now, although they do have one, Braden Hillman, uh, that is bordering on becoming a four-star that Carolina is going after. So those are the names now to keep an eye on as they reset the market ahead of uh, this sprint to the finish here, really the last month and a half, uh, 
uh, or uh, about two months before they get to the early signing period. Meanwhile, also announced today, Pittsburgh game is set for 8 o'clock on ACC Network. So another night game for Carolina. This one's going to be a big one. Uh, you got a feeling that this will be a huge domino in what ultimately happens in the ACC Coastal. I would be shocked uh, if this really doesn't decide the outcome of the ACC Coastal when it is all said and done. Uh, but it will be in Keenan Stadium, and it will be at night as Carolina looks to snap uh, their losing streak. Two-game losing streak to Pittsburgh. Both of those losses, of course, coming in overtime. Meanwhile, in the NFL, Mitch Trubisky on Sunday comes in, leads Pittsburgh to a victory over Tampa Bay after Kenny Pickett went down with an injury. Uh, 124 yards, touchdown through the air, touchdown on the ground for him. Tremendous performance for him in relief. Cole Holcomb, 12 total tackles for Washington. But more importantly, with the Washington Commanders, Carson Wentz did have surgery on a fractured ring finger earlier today. He is going to be out four to six weeks. So now there is a decision for head coach Ron Rivera and the commander staff. Now there is probably still a chance they go with Taylor Heineke because that is a staff that is potentially on the hot seat. But some some people think that they could potentially try to ride with Sam Howell and see what he has, try to get something out of the rookie. So that'll be interesting to monitor here as we go throughout the next week. Also, Mitch Trubisky could be back in, at least for the time being, for Pittsburgh because of the injury to Kenny Pickett. It was a concussion that knocked him out of that game against Tampa Bay. So uh, those two guys, chance to potentially start moving forward here. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, over uh, the span of these next couple of days. So that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Guys, head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, where, of course, I'll have you covered uh, with everything uh, coming out of this game against Duke, uh, how Carolina came away with the victory bell. We uh, have the recap up there on the website right now, our five biggest takeaways from that game. Also, going up there, Ashton's analysis. You'll also have um, the stock report, and then we will have the trench report from Josh. That'll wrap up the this week's uh, coverage of the game. But then we'll circle back around. We'll do midseason grades because Carolina is on a bye week here uh, after seven games. Just like last year, we ended up having to push it back a week instead of doing it at the actual uh, real midway point of the season. But we'll go ahead and do those. And then uh, at the end, we will uh, of course have you guys on the back end of that we'll have a couple more articles that we'll be putting out there uh, during that time and then we will of course have you guys ready uh, once we pull up on that game against Pittsburgh Uh, meanwhile basketball side of things 21 days until the start of the season Carolina basketball is right around the corner and uh, it is uh, getting that time we are going to have a bunch of stuff going up there on the website as we pull closer Carolina of course today we do have an article on the website Uh, They were named the number one team in the country in the preseason AP Top 25. So, man, this team uh, so far uh, looking like they are going to, uh, you know, not only have all the expectations on the table, but from what we heard in the ACC media days, uh, they are going to be ready for all of those expectations when they take the court uh, to start the season. So that wraps up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tarius.
Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.